Welcome to our Wednesday service. We are praying that the Lord touches us again to understand His Word. We normally say, like the scripture says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. As we are going through this message, uh, once in a, a while we punctuate it with uh, some thoughts that confirm what we are dealing with. And uh, when you look at these plagues that are going to be falling upon the earth, you look at the terrible things that are going to happen, and then as we saw some will be spared, it may be you will be spared, it may be you will not be spared. <clears throat> you know, we should go beyond just taking God for granted. And I was thinking, what does it take for God to spare you? 
You know, many times we think just because you are saved, just because you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, just because you are a believer, you are a child of God, you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are in the body of Christ, and you just assume that uh, the Lord is going to spare you, and you talk and say, I pity those that are not Christians, I pity those that are not believers, they are going to suffer. See the terrible things that are going to happen. See the terrible uh, judgment that is going to fall upon the earth. And just because you are saved, just because you are in the body of Christ, you assume and you take God for granted that you are going to be spared. <clears throat> it takes more than just being saved for the Lord to spare you. For these judgments to fall and they don't affect you. Wherever you will be in the wilderness, I tell you it will take more than just being a child of God. So when you read the, here in the book of Psalms, we will proceed with our lesson. But before we proceed, uh, I would like to remind you of these scriptures and um, who are those that the Lord is going to spare? That these judgments are going to not to touch uh, them. What do we need to do? Do we need just to sit down and take life easy, take it easy, and uh, go on with our normal life, and uh, just because we are saved and we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we speak in other tongues, and everything is going to be fine. All is going to be well. The Lord has saved us. Uh, God is going to preserve us. Or do we need to do something more than just that? And we read Psalm 91. Uh, before you read uh, verses um, uh, 3 to 16, where the Lord promises is going to preserve uh, a people. Before we jump to that, let's not forget there is verse 1, Psalms 91 and verse 1. He says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. It takes a dwelling. Before verses 3 through 16, you must dwell in the presence. He that dwells in the secret place, you must be dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You must be dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Then you shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So, there is something that must be done. There is an attitude to have. There is a way of life, a lifestyle that we must have. There is a code of conduct. There is a spirit that we are to build. If the Lord is to preserve us, it's not just being in church and praising God and uh, worshiping God. All that is good and is, we shall do that. We must worship God. We must praise God. We must come to church. 
But apart from coming to church, what about our spirit? Your spirit is everything. And that's why the church in the church, as the word of God goes forth, we must let that word change us, remove the chaff from our heart, uh, from our mentality, our thinking, to where our conduct is different, our spirit is different. So before we rejoice over verses 3 through 16, uh, these good promises where God promises us to preserve us from all these pestilences, there is verse 1. And apart from verse 1, 2, I mean, also, uh, there is also verse 14. <clears throat> there is verse 14, uh, even before verse 14, uh, there is verse 9, Psalms 91 and verse 9. Because thou hast met the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, you make the Lord your habitation. In other words, you, you, you are with God all the time. Uh, and to be with God all the time, you must be getting rid of sin. Your spirit, you must be working on it to have a righteous attitude. Because where sin is, God lives. You, when you mix your life with the sin, God departs. So, he says, because you have made very powerful scripture. Because you have made the Lord which is my refuge. Even the most high thy habitation. You have made the most high thy habitation. You dwell with God. Uh, like another scripture says. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Your mind is on God. Your thoughts in God, you are thinking about God, how to please God, how to work for Him, how to advance His work, how to worship Him, how to lift up His name, how to walk with Him. You are constantly thinking about God. God is always in your mind. You make a mistake, we are human. There is no man that sinneth not, the scripture says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we, uh, we confess our sins, he is faithful and uh, uh, just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If we say that we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. So we sin, but when you sin, you make it right. You, you, you repent. You turn away. You don't just confess, but you also turn away from it. Uh, there is no man that sinneth not. Every one of us makes mistakes. Every one of us sins. But after we have sinned, do we turn away from that? Do we uh, feel remorse? Are we remorseful? Do we say, Lord, I have failed again. Mercy. Have mercy upon me, Lord. Have mercy upon me, Lord. Uh, help me. It is thee that worketh in me both to will 
and to do of thy good pleasure. I need your strength. You are my strength, Lord. I need your strength. Help me to turn away. Uh, the goodness of the Lord leads thee unto repentance. Lord, you have made me realize that I've made a mistake. It takes the Lord to touch you, and then you realize you have made a mistake. So, for you to, uh, to make the Lord uh, the most high, your habitation, when you make a mistake, you turn away. You repent. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. You confess your sin, and you repent, and you turn away from that. Uh, because you want the presence of God, you want that presence, you want to please God. So, before we quote Psalm 91 verses 3 to 16, and the Lord is going to protect us, the Lord is going to preserve us from all these calamities, there is verse 1, then there is verse 9, and not only that, there is verse 14. Because he has set his love upon, uh, upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Right there, verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me. You love God with the whole of your heart. You are saved the sinner, but you love God. You are not perfect, but there is within you a love for God, a love to please God, a love to do that which is right, a love to obey God, to obey the word of God, to implement, to walk in his statutes, in his judgments, in his laws. Uh, your, your desire, your primary aim is to serve God, is to live for God. Uh, the world doesn't have a pull uh, anymore on you. When you left the world, when you said bye-bye to the world, you really left. And you are tuned in to the love of God. Your concern is the people of God, the work of God, uh, the church. How you can really work to please God and to do the work of God. You have set your love, set your love on not on the things on this earth, uh, your affections are not on things on this earth, but your affections are on things that are above. Your love is on God. You really love God. Uh, you don't want to day in, day out, one sin after another, one sin after another, sinning day in, day out. You don't do that. You love God. You love to please Him. You love to walk with God, then the Lord will preserve you. It's not a matter of being a church member. It's not a matter of being a church goer that the Lord will set you, I mean, preserve you, protect you. We have to do more than that. Saints of God, let's not take God for granted that just because we are in the body of Christ, it's just going to be automatic that these judgments that are going to fall upon the earth, uh, we are going to be preserved. No, it, it takes more than that. We must be serious with the things of God. 
we must be determined to serve God. We must be determined to support the work of God. Are you faithful? Do you pay your tithe? Those are simple things. Those are elementary. If your pastor is still struggling with you to pay tithe, then somehow, just because you're in church, you know you're going to be preserved, you're going to be protected. When in the simplest thing, money is the least thing on the face of the earth, the least. And if you are not faithful in the least, in the least, how will God honor you with something greater than just the least? You don't even, you make pledges and you don't pay. And somehow you are comfortable. You are comfortable, you are going to be protected because you are in the church, because so and so is your pastor, and you are in the church, and you, uh, you love worshiping God, you love praising God, and you think you are going to be preserved. My question is still, do you pay your tithe? Are you faithful? Do you pay the correct tithe? Tithe, uh, we pay off the gross, not off the net. It is off the gross pay, not the net pay. We are doing business, 10% of your profits is not your money, it's God's money. And we don't do the work of God just on tithe alone. Uh, it is, it's not sufficient to run and pay the bills and build the church and buy a plot of land. We have to go beyond that if we love God. We have to go beyond that. Do we want to acquire a plot of land and build a church, physical building, build a physical church? Uh, for the saints of God to worship in and to do the work of God, build the related offices, have a nursery, have Asha's office, have all these pastors' office, uh, and have all these uh, cleaning crew and all the departments. Uh, you can't do that on a tithe alone. Uh, that, can't, that can't work. That's why if you're a child of God and you love the work of God, apart from paying tithe, and your offerings. And some people, once they pay their tithe, oh, um, I'm a tithe payer, I'm a tithe payer. You have robbed me. If just Malachi, it includes, uh, it includes offering. Just uh, yes, let me show you. Where did they rob God? Online tithe? Uh, does the Bible say online tithe? Or it's more than just a tithe? Turn to Malachi chapter uh, 3. Uh, the Lord uh, spoke through Malachi. says, this whole nation has uh, robbed me. And uh, in verses um, 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, and many of us say, Wherein have we robbed thee, Lord? When did we rob thee? Wherein have we robbed thee? He replies, in tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. So some of us, when we pay tithe, then you say, well... Thank God I'm free. You are robbing God even in your offerings. After your tithes, 
And the tithe does not only mean salary, your animal, the animals you have, if you have the birds that you have, the farm, um, uh, you, have may, you have maize, corn, whatever you call it, you have granas, you have potatoes, you have cotton, you have coffee, everything that the Lord has blessed you with, pay tithe on it. You will be pleasing God. That's the way God has ordained that he will run his work. For the work of God to be in the earth, for men to go up and down, every church, uh, whether they believe in salvation or not, it runs, it takes finances to run. It takes money to buy a piece of land. It takes money to buy a stand. In some parts of the world they call it a stand. Uh, it takes money to buy a stand. It takes money to buy a piece of land, a plot. And then you, uh, you survey. Then you, you, you make uh, architectural drawings. All that it takes money. And then physical building. All that is money. And God has ordained. That's why he commanded the children of Israel to bring money in the storehouse of the Lord. And so, you not only pay tithe, then you pay offerings. And not only that, tithe and offering can't really uh, do everything that is necessary to be done. Tithe and offerings, they can't do everything that is needed. That's why saints of God make a pledge. Maybe they... There is a, a building to be erected and they make, we are going to build a church and you start a pledging. Uh, and those are pledges. That's why, yeah, how does the church have its income? Pledges, saints of God that are beneficiaries of that, um, that are beneficiaries of that ministry. They turn around and support that. And uh, uh, we have digressed here, but good is the will of the Lord. I think it's in Matthew uh, chapter 10, um, uh, where uh, in verse, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 10, um, starting from verse, um, let's start from verse 6. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, Christ was commanding them to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. But making this statement, we have now found out, does not mean that the Gentiles were totally excluded. No. In the prophecies that the prophets uh, prophesied, in there, there were uh, prophets, uh, there were words that indicated prophets, prophets, prophecies that indicated that God would save the Gentiles, that we would, that God would have a Gentile church. It's a mystery. It was hidden. Not many people knew. All that, those that belonged to God then, they knew salvation was of the Jews. Jews only, Jews were selected as God's people and didn't know there were Gentiles. People didn't know Gentiles 
were to be saved. And so he says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Does you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. He sent out, he's sending out into the ministry. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses. He says, don't take money. Don't go with money. Why would the Lord send people to go out and preach without giving them money? I thought Christ should have given them money. Every one of us, I'm sure you are thinking Christ should have said, well, I give you 10 million. I give you $1,000. Go with that for the beginning. I give you all these uh, currencies whatever currency was used by then, he should have given them provisions. should have told them, go with all uh, changing, uh, with clothes, changing clothes, go with your suits or whatever type of clothes they were putting there on then and uh, make sure you have provisions to carry you because if you are going to meet, you are going to meet strangers. These are people, you, ha- you don't know them, you have never known them. Uh, you are going to meet them, make sure you have enough provision to take you and when it is over come back because it will take time for those people to know what to do so you go with all these provisions you would have given them money you would have given them and you would have told them to carry uh, clothes and everything that they needed uh, that's, that, that is what would be the sensible thing to do that would have been the sensible things to do he said don't carry anything like money don't why? Have you ever asked yourself why he never gave them money? Why he never told them to carry their provisions? Why he never said, take this, take the other, take this, take the other for the mission? Have you ever asked yourself a question why the Lord himself told them not to carry anything? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever asked your mind? Have you ever asked why the Lord did that? Let's continue. He says, no script for your journey, neither two courts, neither shoes, nor yet staves, then he gives the answer. For the workman is worthy of his meat. If you labor right, you work right, you will be worthy a pay. If you work right, if you are doing right, in other words, if you continue to say, to read, and into whatever city or town you shall enter, inquire who, is, who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. When you come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, now they are looking for worthy people, worthy of the gospel, worthy. Are you worthy of this message? Are you worthy of this understanding, this knowledge that you are being given? Are you worthy or you are unworthy? Uh, you, just en- you just enjoy listening. You just enjoy receiving. You just enjoy. Then if you are not turning around and supporting it, you are not, uh, you are not worthy. He says, and whatever city or town you shall enter, inquire who is in it worthy. 
and they abide. He said, continue the work uh, till you go thence. And when you come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return from thee. And it was ever, and was whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, your words, when you depart out of the house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. What does this mean? Putting it practically now. What, what was Christ saying? Christ was saying, you are going to labor. When you preach, you labor. You have to study. You have to pray. You have to seek the mind of God. You have to ask God to help you, to put words in your mouth. You have really to look to God to guide you. You have to sit and listen from God. You have to take time. You separate yourself from the rest of the world. When everybody is doing very busy in their own thing, doing this and the other, busy with their work that they do, the secular work that they do, some business, busy with the merchandise, you yourself, wherever you study from, wherever you seek God from, and then you go out trusting that the Lord will lead you. He says you are going to labor, and if you labor, and you work right. If people receive the word, the right response will be to turn around and support your ministry. That's what he's saying. After we receive this, if we appreciate, we turn around and support. That's the Bible way we support the work of God. The people that are recipients, they turn around and support the ministry. That's why you're saying, don't carry anything. If those people are worthy, how shall we know they are worthy? Is when they receive the message, they appreciate it. This is wonderful. We want a church here. We are going to build a church. We are going to support this ministry. We are going to support this work. This is great. We have never had such things. This information is new to us. I have been a Christian for many years and I have never had such information. I have never had such words. This is precious. We are going to support this. We are going to support this. We are going to be to buy a plot of land. We are going to gather money. We are going to make pledges. Every person, every one of you that have been listening and you feel this is good. You feel this is wonderful. Let's put finances together. Let's build a church. Let's buy a plot of land. We must have a pastor that can preach this message, that can really uh, minister this message. We want, we shall support. God helping us, we shall support. We shall make pledges and do everything. Build a physical church uh, and uh, then have all that it takes uh, to run a ministry. We shall support a pastor. You turn around and support. If you appreciate what you are hearing, then you turn around and support. That's how the work of God is done. So you don't pay tithe and say, Ooh, thank God, I've paid my tithe. What about the offering? Then you are robbing God in the offerings. You are robbing God in the offerings. Not only that, do you want your, the minister of your pastor, whosoever your pastor is, do you want that man to continue working? 
<clears throat> working for God and uh, moving up and down, reaching out to areas where the gospel is not named. Do you want that man to go and preach? Uh, do you want to have uh, to build the music department? Uh, do you want the church to have equipment that makes the ministry easy? Then you make pledges. Pledges are made. You make pledges. Tithes and offerings alone will not be enough for your pastor to do what he needs to do to have this gospel spread out. Whosoever your pastor is, wherever church you attend, your pastor needs your support. Whosoever your pastor is, he needs your, uh, your support. You pay your tithe, you pay your offerings, and then you make pledges and pay them. You make pledges and pay, me, and pay them. When you make a pledge, it's, uh, it's like a, a vow. You said, I've made this, I'm, uh, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to pay this. Your mouth has spoken it. It's like a vow. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. When you make a pledge, whether you are building, you want to buy a plot of land so that you can build a church, and as children of God, you are benefiting from that man's ministry, you are, he's giving you words of life, and they want to buy a plot of land, they want to build a church, and all these other facilities, and you make a pledge, that's a vow, you have made a vow. Uh, your mouth has spoken, and the scripture says, when thou vowest a vow unto God, you lifted up your hand, you said, Pastor, oh elder, I'm going to pay this, God helping me, pay it. Defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou should, shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. And many times we do this. We vow and not pay. The Lord, Lord, if you help me to overcome this problem, I'm going to serve thee. And we end up not serving thee. God, if you heal me, you heal me from this condition, I'm going to make sure I serve thee in my department as an usherator or in the band. I will do my best. I will serve thee till I die. I'm going to do my best. If you heal me, Lord, if you touch my life and change my life, if you do this for me, give me this job, I'm going to support your work. We make vows. We speak. Those are vows. A godly man's word, we have learned, a godly man's word is as it were a vow. Once, if you are godly and you say something, it is as good as a vow. You promise something and you are a godly man, it is as it, uh, it, is as it were 
a vow, a godly man's word, is as it were a vow. Once you promise, you as a child of God, you promise something. In other words, you have made a vow many times. We have said it. Say, well, Lord, should you give me this? I'm going to serve thee. I'm going to love your children. I'm going to love your servant. I'm going to stand by your servant. I'm going really to do everything to make sure that this ministry uh, goes ahead. Those are, if you are godly, those are vows you are making. I'm going to do this. Lord, if you take, if you lift me off from this bed, uh, I'm going to do my best. Should I leave this condition? Should I go over this? I'm going really to serve. You give me a wife, you give me a husband, we are going to serve thee till we die. If you enable us to come together, my God, we are going to serve thee till we die. We make vows. Then in verse 6 he says, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry? at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands. There we are. That's why we touch everything we touch goes down. There are vows we made and we never fulfilled. Vows that we made never fulfilled. And then the Lord destroys the work of our hands. Wow, how many vows? Look back. Find out what you have done, what you have said and you haven't fulfilled. You spoke with your mouth. You haven't fulfilled. So, what brought us there is to say pledges. They keep. You cannot run the ministry. Saints of God that are listening. The ministry of your pastor, the ministry of whoever your pastor is, he cannot run that only on tithe unless he has millionaires and billionaires, then when they pay tithe, probably, but in an ordinary situation, the saints that we know, especially in this continent, uh, tithe alone cannot do everything that is necessary to be done in the ministry. Pledges have to be made, especially when we are involved in a great work to reach out or even to building facilities. That's why people make pledges. And so, we should do that. And the Lord intended that if you appreciate what your pastor is giving you, you appreciate what your preacher is telling you, the right response is to turn around and support uh, that man's ministry. Turn around. That is the right response. That's why Lydia, he said, if you have judged me faithful. Uh, let me see if I can get it in the book of Acts, chapter uh, 16. Um, uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, this was a businesswoman of the city of Thyatira, Thyatira which worshipped God had us whose heart the Lord opened to take that. Hallelujah, take that. 
that she attended unto the things which was spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought. Look at that. A new person meeting for the first time. She besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Say, if you have judged me to be faithful, come to my house. That was the right response to what she had heard. Very right, good response to what she had. Once you appreciate what you hear, once you like what you hear, the right response is not to say, well, I've never heard such words. Oh, these are words of life. My God, these are good. This is great. Turn around and support. That's what God requires. If you didn't know, then I'm telling you that the right response to appreciating what you hear, if you appreciate what you hear, then you turn around and support that ministry. God never intended people to just be uh, hearing and hearing and hearing. That's why God doesn't rain money from heaven to support his work here on earth. Do you know why he doesn't do that? Because he knows that there are people on earth that are listening to that message. There are people that are listening and there they are people that will appreciate what they are hearing. Some, of course, the scoffers we will not... Um, appreciate it, they will argue with it, they will not like it, they will curse. There will be that group. But God knows that there will be people when they hear the message, uh, when they listen to the message, they will say, my God, this is wonderful, this is great, I like this, I would like to hear more of this, I would like to hear more of this, I want to support what I'm, uh, that ministry, I want to support that ministry. They will turn around. That's why money never rains. Tell me of a preacher that has ever seen dollars dropping from heaven or shillings or whatever, uh, quachas falling from heaven. I've never seen quachas falling from heaven or zim dollars falling from heaven or pounds or rands falling from heaven, pullers. And you see pullers coming, puller. There are pullers coming. No, he knows. There are people in Botswana that when they hear that message, they will support it. They will like it. And they will turn around and support that pastor that is preaching that message. And so that's how God ordained. That's why he never reigned. He, he, those are his servants. But he uh, doesn't rain money from heaven. That's why God help us that we will support our work. We will support this work. And uh, that saints of God will support their pastors, they will support their uh, ministers, that the work of God goes forth. And so we were reading Psalms 91. That's why I was saying, don't think... Um, you will just pre automatically be preserved 
the Lord will just preserve you. There is an attitude, there is a spirit that you are to manifest. That's why we looked at uh, even in uh, Psalms, going back to Psalms 91. Who are those? Psalms 91, that the Lord will uh, support. Um, that's not just in Psalms 91, rejoice. For verses 3 through 16, they are good. Uh, they are good and the Lord will do great things. But here, in verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. You have to set your love. These calamities, these things that are going to happen, for you to be preserved, for you to be spared, you must set your love upon him. When we read of Enoch, you remember Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24, Enoch. Why was Enoch translated? Why didn't he feel the pangs, the pains of death? Do you know, most people before they die, they go through a lot of pain. But here, in Genesis, we have an example of a child of God. We read this in our earlier lessons. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He was not just literally walking with God, literally walking with God, literally walking. No, he was in the presence, in the company of God. He, he, he was always, his mind, he loved to please God. He loved to do the right thing. And to know what he did, you have to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, then you will know what he did. Hebrews chapter 11. Then you know Enoch was not just having his own way, but there is something that he did that helped him. Um, Hebrews 11, and then we have verse uh, 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. He should not see death. He didn't experience. He didn't go through pain before he dies. Like I was saying, many people before they die, before they, they are taken out of this world, they go through a lot of pain, a lot of agony a lot of suffering before if they are chosen, if they are the elect, God must not have a charge. He must not have a charge against them. So what God does in their last 
our days, in their last hours, in their last days, God has to take care of every unconfessed sin, every sin that they commented, they committed, they didn't turn away from, they never uh, changed it what has been with them, they never took care of that, then God has to do that before they leave this earth. So for Enoch, there was nothing that God did, needed to uh, put a judgment on him. There was nothing. So he just from life to death. From life to death. It is as though going to sleep and you will wake up. And you wake up. So he was translated and should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Then we are given the reason. Enoch walked with God and he was not. Well, God took him. What happened? We are given. He says, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So don't think Enoch just was maybe like literally you walk two people together, uh, was not doing anything. He had a testimony. What was that testimony? He pleased God. In other words, Enoch was a child of God that he decided to please God. He decided to obey God. Whatever God said, however hard it was, however tough it was, Enoch was willing to do what God wants to do. Enoch was willing. My God, he was such a child of God that God was everything to him. He could lose everything, could lose the entire world, but have God. He could lose friends, but have God. He could lose property, but have God. For him, God was everything. God was everything. It didn't matter what he lost, but he desired to please God. So, such people, no wonder, say you are not going to suffer like other people suffer before they die. He just translated him from life to death. And when you read Psalms, um, even before that, First uh, John, there's a scripture here that I I wanted also to read. First uh, John chapter three and verse twenty-two. And whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. For God to hear your prayer, you do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So you must please God. Ask yourself a question. Am I going to be preserved if you will be alive by then? 
Am I pleasing God? In whatever I do, do I please God? Or I'm doing something that is contrary to what God wants. Does God say amen to everything I do, every thought? Does God, uh, is God a happy sort speak with me? So, even in Psalms here, Psalms 15, Psalms 15, very good psalm here. He's asking a question. David, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Who is that one in our case? Who will be preserved from these calamities? Who will not go through? Whom the Lord will hide? Who is that one? He that walketh uprightly, I tell you there are conditions here, tough. He that walketh uprightly and walketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. The mouth can say one thing and the heart is saying another. The mouth and the heart are not in line. They are out of face with each other. They are not in line. He that walketh uprightly and walketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Very, very tough conditions. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned. Contemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own heart and changeth not. You swear I'm going to do this and you don't change. Like we were speaking of vows. You promise and you, and you keep it. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He says, he that doeth those things that we have read above shall never be moved. You are not going to be afraid of the pestilence. You are not going to be afraid of these plagues. So, we have said all that to say it's not just automatic just because you are in the body of Christ that you are going to be preserved. There is a spirit to be built in your life. There is what to do. Let's not take God for granted. Let's not just play with our Christian life. Let's be serious. So, let's continue. In our message, we looked at this scripture in the book of Revelation. 
chapter 16 and verse um, we want to read verse um, 3 and the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it became as the blood of a dead of a, of a dead man and every living soul died in the sea. My God, what a hard thing this will be. This second plague of the wrath of God causes the sea to turn red like blood. What would happen? The sea, like I was saying, Mediterranean Sea, and it turns red like blood. You know, something similar to this has happened before. When Moses was confronting Pharaoh and demanding that the Egyptians free the children of Israel, they free his people from slavery. The waters of Egypt were turned to blood. Whatever things were written for our time, they were written for our learning, that we through patience and the comfort of scriptures we might have hope. So here, this, if this happened in the days of Moses, then it is certain that it will happen. Look at Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7 verses 19 through uh, 21. And the Lord spake unto Moses and the Lord spake unto Moses, say unto Aaron, take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt upon the streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that they may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. That was terrible. Even the water that was in a vessel, in a glass, in a saucepan, in any dish, it turned blood. Wherever there was water, it turned blood. That was terrible. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. And they lifted up the rod, and those, and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the water that were in the river, were turned to blood. That was terrible. Water turning into blood is terrible. You wouldn't drink it, would you? Unless you are one of those that take blood. So this plague, due to the loss of the seafood, will have a devastating effect 
upon the food chain. In other words, there is a lot of seafood. There is a lot of creatures in the sea that live because of water. And if that water will turn like into blood, then this will affect what people enjoy. Many people enjoy, many people like seafood. They say it is healthy, seafood. So this plague, due to the loss of seafood, will have a, a devastating effect upon the food chain. There will not, that part <clears throat> of provision will be lost because people that have been eating seafood will, will not have it. They would have all died. That would have turned almost like poison. So that will be terrible. There are people that don't eat anything else when it comes to meats apart from seafood. So it will be a real punishment. And God help us that we shall love him to where we don't have to face all this. In Revelation 16 and verse 4, Revelation 16, And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters and they became blood. In the third plague, third angel, verse 4, the third plague, not only salt water is affected, it will not only be salt water affected, but also fresh water is polluted. Fresh water will also be polluted. My God, what an environment. This will particularly affect industrialized nations. Those developed nations, what we call developed nations, and they are really developed. This plague will particularly affect industrialized nations. Many of us really admire and we do, rightly do, those developed countries because life is a bit better than some of our continents. But things are going to happen that all the knowledge, all the education, all the uh, all these developments that have gone on, it will look like it was just piled up or made up to come to nothing. And so, drought, famine, 
and food shortages will be the result of this fresh water pollution. When fresh water is polluted, fresh water is polluted, water is life. And when it is polluted, that spells out death. Water is essential to all life. That's what we say, water is life. Scarce water will be hoarded. People will keep, will, ha will put, hide it. Distillers will be unavailable at any price. Those that distill water, they will not be available. Whatever price you offer, they will not be seen. Men and women will lie will steal and kill for water. Water is life. If you want to know that water is life, go to the desert countries. That's when you will see how important water is. And so, that's why let's live our lives so that God can preserve us from all this suffering. Time has cut us short, but we will continue in the next service. May God touch our hearts, touch our lives. May God help us to be devoted to him, to implement what we hear, and we shall benefit. Thank you for listening. And may God bless you. Amen.